You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week nine of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled God Most Truthful. We're going to dive into truthful. And from the start, I have to just warn you, I don't know, this talk, I might be kind of a little bit fumbling because I just feel like my mind has been racing the whole time with this topic. Usually I'm kind of pretty good the day before with my talk and this morning, even as I ate breakfast, I was making notes all over my notes. So um, hopefully you'll be able to track with me. And then even at our table, the other ladies at my table were bringing up such great points. I was like, oh, that would have been good to put in there. That would have been good to say. So we'll just trust the Lord that he's going to guide me through this and you can follow along. So in preparing for this week's lesson, I actually Googled famous quotes about truth. W. Clement Stone said, truth will always be truth, regardless of lack of understanding, disbelief, or ignorance. Thomas Huxley stated, learn what is true in order to do what is right. Thomas Jefferson, Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Mark Twain, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. The well-known philosopher Soren Kierkegaard stated, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. And the last one I will share are words from the all-wise sage, Elvis Presley, who said, truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. Let me pray. O truthful Father God, how grateful we are that you are the source of all truth, eternal truth, universal truth, We do not have to seek it for ourselves because you reveal it to us through your spirit. And now, Father God, in your gracious mercy, would you speak your truth to these precious ladies? Would you hide me and reveal yourself? Would you open our minds and our ears and our hearts that we can receive the truth and be convicted in the areas where we've been clinging to our own truth and distorting yours. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you wanna do all this for us. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Truth has become a very popular topic in recent years, a high priority for us all to embrace. But unfortunately, the world has abandoned absolute truth for my truth, your truth, which actually just results in no truth. If any of you were here last evening for the Engaging Culture session, the speaker, Dr. Mark Farnham, referenced Immanuel Kant, a philosopher from decades and decades ago, who said that feeling is truth. Can you imagine the chaos we would live in If everyone, forget the whole world, just this room, if all of us decided that our feelings would dictate what is truth. Sometimes I find it rather ironic when someone emphatically states that there is no such thing as absolute truth. 
Well, they are making an absolute statement which they want us to accept as reality, as truth. Another quote I found, in fact, was from Oprah Winfrey who said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we have. I will say she has a couple of words that are accurate in there, truth, powerful tool, but unfortunately she added another critical word, your, which made it not only a completely incorrect statement, but also even a dangerous one. The powerful tool is speaking God's truth, only his truth, and it is absolute, not defined by me or you, and certainly not based on our feelings. It is not unique to me or you. It is absolute and it is universal for all people, for all times, since the beginning of time. Here are some definitions I found for truth. In accordance with fact, reality, real things and events, actuality. Merriam-Webster defined it as transcendent, fundamental, or spiritual reality. The Oxford Dictionary said true facts rather than the things that have been invented or guessed. And Noah Webster, in his 1828 dictionary, stated that truth is the conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is and has been and shall be. Hmm, that sounds a lot like what scripture says about God, he who was and is and evermore shall be. I even researched a definition for absolute truth and I found this, always valid regardless of parameters or context, complete, unvarying and permanent. It is discovered, not invented. And I would actually qualify that last part slightly to say that it is revealed as well as discovered not invented, but oh, how the world wants to invent what is truth and to keep changing that. Isn't it interesting that one source I read clarified that another word for ultimate or absolute truth is gospel truth. The world is sometimes so unaware of how much it is actually God's word and not man's original ideas that inform and influence our thoughts. A key fact regarding truth is that it is completely independent of our beliefs. In other words, something is not true because we believe in it, because if that were the case, then Santa Claus would definitely exist, thanks to millions of children. Rather, we believe in something because it is true. Centuries ago, people scoffed at Columbus for his belief that the world was round not flat, but their skepticism in no way affected the earth's actual shape. The atheist can insist on the absurdity of a sovereign, transcendent, yet personal God. So what? The liberal church can deny the inerrancy of the scripture. So what? Even if not a single person on earth today believed in God or his word, that would in no way minimize the truth that he is 
who his word says he is. Truth is still truth and it will stand forever. This is why the study of God's word and the proper study is so critical. We are all very blessed here at LEFC to have leaders in our women's ministry who are committed to training us in the proper study of God's word, to learn to discern his truth, not to project ours into it. The inductive study method, which you, if any of you did the Genesis study or the Exodus study or one of the smaller classes, I think this semester they're doing numbers, you have done the inductive study method, and that is what we will be doing in the spring with Matthew. To begin with observation, asking the questions, who wrote this book? To whom it is, is it written? What type of book is it? Is it a historical narrative like Genesis and Exodus? Is it a prophet like Jeremiah and Isaiah? Is it a letter like what Paul wrote in the New Testament? What are the repeated words? What are the key words? What questions does it evoke in me? What does the text say? And then once we've done a thorough dig into the text, to begin to move to interpretation. What is the writer communicating here? What does it teach about God? What does the text mean? And only then to move into the final step of application. How does this text impact the way I live, the way I think. So often we wanna start with the application. Let me quickly read a passage of scripture to get my inspiration or instruction for the day. But without thorough study first, that is how we can easily draw from God's word what may not be his truth, but rather ours. God is truth. God reveals truth in every page of his word. And we cannot know that truth if we do not diligently examine it. So let's actually see what his word tells us about God being truth. Psalm 119, 142 reads, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Verse 151 of that same chapter states, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. The Hebrew word for true is emeth, which means firmness, faithfulness, stability, assuredly, right, sure. God is always righteous, and his law, his commands, his word is firm, faithful, assured, right, and it therefore provides stability for our lives. That is why to cling to his word is the best way to live. Don't we all want our lives to be stable? To know that our foundation is firm? Remember some of the definitions I gave for absolute truth, unvarying, permanent. What comfort in Numbers 23:19, a verse that Jen listed at the end of her chapter. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Do we truly embrace and believe in the depth of our soul that God cannot lie? That his word is always perfectly true. Not mostly true, not sometimes true, not true for certain people at certain times. Every promise spoken, 
every attribute revealed, every expression of his affection for his children is absolute, permanent, unwavering truth for all people, including you at all times, including when you've really messed up, when the storms are raging, and even when the doubts are rising. He will not change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Oh, dear friends, take comfort in that truth. Stake your life on it. Build your foundation on it. And what does scripture tell us about Jesus? Well, he himself tells us in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus speaks truth. Jesus embodies truth. Jesus is the truth. And he is the only way. In the Old Testament, the way of truth was a life lived in conformity to the laws. Since Jesus, we live a life conformed to him, the word of God made flesh. John writes in chapter 114, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The Greek word for truth is aletheia, which means certainly, most rightly, truly, in truth, according to truth, reality, fact. Thayer defines it further to say what is true in any matter under consideration. Jesus himself is full of truth, and he always taught the way of God truthfully during his ministry on earth. In Colossians, the second chapter, the second half of verse two and into verse three, Paul states the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One commentary stated, in Christ is all wisdom and knowledge of God, which means in Christ is all truth. He is the very revelation of the truth of his father. Therefore, If we neglect Christ, we have no real truth and nothing ultimately will make sense. And I think that explains why so many people today are confused and depressed and filled with anxiety. God's word also makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is truth. John 14, 17 says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Scripture is full of warnings about false teachers rising up in the world and even within the church. I can remember when I was a young believer being really fearful about that. Like, oh no, what if I follow a false teacher because he kind of sounds good and he sounds biblical? What if I don't know that he's a false teacher? We do have to be on guard, but we do not have to live in fear of that. This verse makes it clear that the Holy Spirit of truth is our helper, given to us by our loving Father because he knows we need a guide who will be with us always. He will lead and direct us into truth because he is truth. Now, as Jen pointed out, to identify the false, we have to know the real. 
The Spirit will assist us as we study God's truth, but he won't do it for us. We cannot expect to just kind of rarely or casually or once in a while glance at scripture and then just rely on the Spirit to reveal it all to us, to reveal the truth we need. He will reveal it to us, yes, but it it is as we are immersed in reading and meditating on it ourselves. Note that Jesus in that verse says he will ask the Father and he will give us a helper, not a surrogate, who will totally do it for us. Let us be faithful disciples who desire to know God's truth and are willing to do the work necessary. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, writes in chapter 3, verse 15, what the church's role is regarding truth. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is to be a strong, firm support of the truth. And who makes up the church? We do. It is not insignificant that when we see the word truth in many of these scriptures, the qualifier used is the, not a. So many today may be willing to agree that yes, the Bible holds some good truths, and yes, Jesus is a truth, a good prophet, honest, but there are others as well. They do not want to acknowledge that he is the truth, not a truth the only way to the Father. And we must be on guard not to fall into that deceit, even when the world accuses us of being narrow-minded. None of us wanna be called that. But you know what, friends? The truth is narrow. Two plus two is four. It will never be three. It will never be five. It will always be exactly four. The Bible also clearly states that the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. Paul writes in Galatians 2, 4 through 5, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So in light of all this, how then are we to live in order to reflect God's image of truthful? Obviously, as I've referenced in previous weeks, as we've looked at other things like faithful, we are to speak the truth to one another, to be honest in all our ways, in all our words, And we have to realize our total dependence on God to not only live out truth, but also to even know it. We just considered the essential role of the Holy Spirit in helping us. How grateful we should be for the words Paul gives us in Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. In his amazing and generous graciousness, God himself bestows on us the wisdom and reveals to us truth. It is not dependent on us being smart enough to figure it out. 
and he delights in sharing his truth with us. Our very good friends make the most delicious ribs we have ever tasted, and it doesn't matter how much we beg them for the recipe. It is a secret family recipe, and they guard it diligently. I would even say stubbornly. (laughs) But that is not how God operates. He desires to share with us his truth. Now, that does not mean he desires that we know all he knows. Our minds are not infinite. We are not designed to be omniscient. But he absolutely reveals to us all the truth that is for our benefit and that we need to help us on our progressive holiness journey. Let me read through a few other guidelines in scripture on how we are to live out truth. Psalm 15:2, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Truth not just with our words, but truth with our inner attitude, aligning with scripture. Proverbs 3.3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We are to be always truthful. And that requires intentional effort. Bind it. Write it. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. The New American Standard states accurately handling. To handle it rightly, we must know it rightly. We talked about that already, the necessity for thorough study. And then we are to handle it rightly. The Greek word for rightly means to make a straight cut, to dissect correctly, to rightly divide. By God's grace, May we never know what the word says, but shade it ever so slightly to justify our actions or those of another. May we never divide it, dissect it according to what we want it to mean for our own desires to suit our attitude. And may we never ignore the parts that make us uncomfortable. My daughter's pastor often says, it takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. Ephesians 4, Paul has just exhorted that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And then he challenges in verse 15 that we are to speak the truth in love. Yes, there will be times we have to challenge a relative, a friend, with the truth from God's word, but we are never to do it harshly or with impure motives. We are to speak the truth in love. And if you wonder what that looks like, just read Jesus' words. He did it often. One example is the woman caught in adultery when he said, neither do I condemn you, the love. And then he said, go and sin no more, the truth. In the third letter of John in verses three through four, we read, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What is walking? It is a daily, frequent, 
normal activity. And the Greek word there means behave, conduct oneself, lead life. So how are we to walk, to conduct ourselves, to behave? It is to be in the truth. If you were to kind of stop taking care of your teeth on a daily basis, on a consistent, regular schedule, and you just kind of went days, weeks, and then maybe just kind of brushed them quickly, didn't worry about what you were putting in your mouth, it would eventually lead to tooth decay. It may be a slow process, but that's where it would end up. When we fail to walk in the truth, to spend consistent, regular time immersed in the truth, it will eventually lead to truth decay. We may not see it, right? <laughs> um, so every time as you brush your teeth, be praying, Lord, don't let me fall into truth decay. Um, it may not affect us right away, but we are living in a day and age that we are, I don't have to tell you how many opposing views are out there bombarding us daily through social media, through the news, through conversations with other people. And it's even happening within the church. We can't assume that just because our kids might be in a Christian school or we go to a solid church, that we don't have to be careful about truth decay. It's a slippery slope. And if we do doubt that it's happening in the churches today, just think how many times you see a rainbow flag hanging outside a church or what sermons are being preached from the pulpit, what scriptures of, uh, uh, what passages from scripture are being ignored. Just recently, a well-known, I'm sure you would know the name if I said it, and you would think, oh, solid guy, love his sermons. A nationally known evangelical pastor just came out and said that Christians need to unhitch the Old Testament from our faith. We just need to focus on Jesus. We need to be careful about the views bombarding us. We need to be careful about shading the truth of God's word just a little bit, or kind of ignoring that one passage that makes us squirm. We are to walk in the truth. In John 4:24, Jesus states that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Even how we worship God must be grounded in truth. And what are some of those absolutes? That God is always infinitely wise, loving, merciful, gracious, faithful. So truth tells us that even in the midst of a raging storm, God is worthy of all worship. Even when life doesn't make any sense to us, God deserves our praise. And even when we are still wandering in the wilderness, we will bless the Lord. Not because our emotions tell us, not because that is what we feel like doing, but because our firm foundation is in the truth the only truth of who God is and always will be, worthy of all honor and praise and glory. In Jen's chapter, she talked about the importance of affirming truth in community. So in closing today, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. 
It will be on the screen, and there are also printed copies on your table if that's easier for you to read. I apologize there's not enough copies for everyone, so those of you with good eyes, read the screen and share the papers with those at your table who might need that. So I'll just give you a second to get ready, and then we're going to read this together. Let's affirm the truth. Yes, let's stand. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'll close this in prayer. Oh, gracious Father God, you are truth. You've established truth. You reveal your truth. And we are so grateful that it never changes. We don't have to worry about what was true yesterday is no longer true today, will no longer be true tomorrow. Forgive us, Lord, when we're tempted to feel that way. Forgive us for for when we fail to pursue learning your truth by studying the word that you so graciously gave us. Help us to do it with diligence and intention and then help us to walk in that truth on a consistent, regular basis. Help us to speak that truth to the world around us that is so desperate to know a truth that will set them free. Oh, Lord God, and may we do that in love. May we be as gracious to those around us as you have been to us. Thank you, Lord, for your truth that we can stand on. Thank you that it is a firm foundation. It will give stability to our lives. Oh, Lord, our words are so inadequate for how grateful we are. We love you, Lord. May we show you our love by how we live out truth for your honor, for your glory, and to point others to you. Jesus, it's in your precious name of truth that we pray, amen.